0: I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music.
1: Now, if you don't think this song
2: is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. I've never met a rock band that hasn't prepared for their tour by watching Spinal Tap. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg
3: Cott. We celebrate 30 years of Spinal Tap with director, writer, and star Rob Reiner. And then we review a new album from another rock and roll myth maker, Morrissey. That's all
2: coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and later in the show, we're going to review the new album, the 10th solo record from Morrissey. Greg, we had uh, Johnny Marr of The Smiths on the show, and that was fun, but uh, I've never spoken to Maz. Have you? I did, Jim. This was years ago, in the early 90s,
3: actually, and he'd just come off a show where the fans had climbed on stage and literally ripped his shirt off. <laughs> and I said, what's going on there? He says, I understand what my fans want.
2: That happens to us a lot.
3: Yes, indeed. Well, we're going to find out if Maz still understands what his fans want. We're going to review that album later in the show. But first, we've got some music news.
4: Beat on the brat. Beat on the brat. Beat on the brat with a baseball bat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, ho. Beat on the brat.
3: That is the Ramones from 1976. Who else could it be with Beat on the Brat and the great Tommy Ramone on drums, leaving absolutely no space in that song for anything else. Just the driving locomotive of rhythm. The late, great Tommy Ramone. Tommy Erdelet. Dead at the age of 65, the last surviving original member of the Ramones, Jim. It's hard to say that, you know? It really is. Johnny Joey and Dee Dee Ramone all died within the last 15 years. Tommy was the last man standing from that original band that basically changed the face of rock and roll. In the 70s, he was probably the least known, the most mysterious member. He was kind of the -the behind-the-scenes Svengali of this band in a way. He crafted their first press release. He was saying, The Ramones all originate from Forest Hills, New York, and kids who grew up there either become musicians, degenerates, or dentists. (laughs) The Ramones are a little of each. Their sound is not unlike a fast drill on a rear molar. He was an experienced guy, Jim. Uh, He had worked with Hendrix uh, in the studio as a studio engineer in 1970
2: before he came to the Ramones as their drummer, producer, and also songwriter. And we talked to him on the show about working on Rocket to Russia. We're going to replay that show in a couple of weeks as a tribute. Two things I think people don't understand or appreciate about Tommy and the Ramones in general. Number one is if you think that was simple drumming, because there's no fill on the first Ramones album right. until the very last song, yeah. right? <laughs> try to play it. You know, just try it. It's endurance. It, it's, it, mm-hmm. Their virtuosity was speed. Number two is the influence of this band. We can talk about the Rolling Stones or the Beatles. It's wonderful that McCartney's still out there. But this is a band that if you heard them and if you got them, they changed your life. And that can't be said of a lot of other groups. I was in Italy recently, and I was staying in this 900-year-old castle, and there's this little chapel at the foot of the hill where the castle is. And there was this kid. He's this chubby little kid with the complete Johnny Bowl haircut. Mm-hmm. And he's with this girl. And they're, they're sitting there, teens, 16 years old. And he had a Ramones shirt on. And he clearly didn't speak English. But I said to him, Ramones! And he gave me the, the power fist salute. And he said, Tommy. And I had no idea what he meant. And I went back to the room and I checked Facebook. And, uh, and Tommy was dead. Here is one of the songs that Tommy wrote, a classic for the Ramones, Blitzkrieg bop from that first album on Sound Opinions.
3: is the ramones with blitzkrieg bop on sound opinions the late great tommy ramone wrote that song dead at the age of
4: 65 it's
2: are listening to Sound Opinions, and that is rock and roll creation performed by another of the most important bands in rock history, Spinal Tap. Fans first heard those dark tones in Rob Reiner's 1984 mockumentary chronicling a metal trio touring to promote its album, Smell the Glove. Now, those aging headbangers are even older, 30 years older to be exact. But This Is Spinal Tap remains, no doubt about it, the greatest rock and roll movie ever. It's one of the few absolutes, Greg, that we agree on. The reason is because, fictional or not, it is the truest. From the arenas to the airplane hangars, all of the cliched moments of excess and glad-handing, of sexism and machismo and utter stupidity, they all ring true.
3: Yeah, Jim, whether art imitates life or vice versa, there are real black albums in rock and roll, and there are real drummer tragedies in rock and roll. And I think that authenticity was thanks to the music-loving stars and writers of this movie, Michael McKeon, Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer, and of course, the director and fellow writer, Rob Reiner. The man many of us came to know as Meathead in All in the Family plays the fake director Marty DeBergi in the movie but in real life, he's directed classics like Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, and A Few Good Men. His new film has Diane Keaton and Michael Douglas in it, and So It Goes, it's called, and it's out July 25th. But uh, Rob's been kind enough to indulge all our burning Spinal Tap questions, and we have a lot of them in preparation for our July 29th screening of This Is Spinal Tap. We've turned it up to 11 by bringing it to Millennium Park in Chicago. Rob Reiner, welcome to the show. Well, thank, thank you for having me. We're in the uh, presence of, uh, of, a, of a legend, I can say that. And I would also have to say, you got off to a pretty damn good start.
2: Uh. (laughs) (laughs) rob i just have to say i've read this quote that you gave years ago no matter what else you would do in your career your tombstone would say meathead that's correct i could win the nobel prize the headline would be meathead wins nobel all due respect sir you're talking to two rock critics your tombstone's gonna say spinal tap (laughs) okay all
5: right (laughs) or it might say there's a fine line between stupid and clever
1: their objections were that she was the victim you see? Oh, oh. That's all right. I mean, if the singer's the victim, it's different. It's see, not sexy. It. He, he did a twist yeah, on whole... it. He did a twist and We should have thought of that. We we were so I mean, if we so had all yeah. you guys tied up, that probably would have been fine. Oh, oh, it's yeah. But it's, it's still a stupid It's such cover. a fine line between stupid and, and clever. It's yes, just that little, little turnabout.
2: Greg and I agree about so little in life. We agree that Spinal Tap is the greatest rock movie ever made. Well, thank you. It's the, the truest. Is one of
5: you guys a Republican and one of you guys a Democrat? <laughs> no, we're not quite that. <laughs> not that far apart. It's not oh, that no. red blue. Oh, okay. No. Alright.
3: But, but we want to know about the young Rob as a music fan. When you're a kid growing up, you know, in in this famous household, what kind of music were you listening to? Well,
5: I, I grew up in the 50s, you know. I was a kid in the 50s and in the, you know, came of age in the 60s. I listened to the first era of rock and roll. I mean, I had a whole stack of 45s. I was one, of, like the guy in Diner, I could tell you what was on the flip side of, you mm-hmm. know, Bye Bye Love, and, and you know, I listened to Everly Brothers and, and Roy Orbison, and you know, all of, you know, the great stars of the 50s. That's what I w- grew up on. My mom, you know, who was a really great, was a great singer, she she uh, start, actually launched a singing career in, in when she was 65 years old. She sang a lot of Ella Fitzgerald type stuff, Sarah and Nina Simone and those kinds of people. So I heard a lot of that music, you know, early uh, 40s, uh, you know, kind of jazz, mm. scat kind of music. But I heard a lot of, you know, I grew up, basically, I'm the first
3: generation in rock and roll. Yeah. And, and the generation gap. I mean, you know, I know what it was like with my dad. It was like, man, he, he couldn't stand that noise, you know?
5: Well, you know, it's interesting. My dad d- didn't really get all that, but my mother yeah. really dug all, all the young, the things that young kids were listening
2: to. Mm. She loved all that stuff. Well, you describe almost a stand-by-me type soundtrack with the yeah. 50s greats. I just have this, vi- this vision in my head of pre-meathead Rob Reiner in his bedroom with Carl bouncing in and you're jamming on Black Sabbath and him saying, what? Is this noise? Yeah, well, I, I wasn't a Black Sabbath guy. I
5: was not a I was not a headbanger type of guy in the '60s. I was more of a well, you know, obviously I love the Beatles and the Stones and the whole British invasion, but you know, I liked B- Buffalo Springfield and I, I liked uh, Country Joe and the Fish and I liked you know Hendrix and Janis Joplin and you know I was more into that than 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 the heavy metal stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. You you went to uh, film school, right? Well, I went to UCLA. Yeah. I was in the theater yeah. department actually at UCLA. And apparently the story goes that you knew Ray Manzarek and, and Jim Morrison. Well, yeah.
5: I mean, they were in the film department there. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, I you know, I'd see those guys. I mean, they, this is pre-Doors days. You mm-hmm. know, uh, and, uh, Jim was an actor at the time. He wanted to act and stuff. So I'd see these guys. But I didn't, you know, this is way before, you know, they formed the Doors. But then I became a huge fan of the Doors and. And I remember one time uh, going backstage. I mean, Jim was, Jim was out there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and he would sometimes he would just, you know, leave the stage, you know, and, and, yeah. and, uh, and I, asked you, I asked Ray Manzarek about this and he said, yeah, you know, we finish the set a lot these days without Jim. Mm-hmm. You know. But...
4: This is.
3: Improv acting, improv rock and roll. Well, Uh, the
5: interesting thing about it is... During the 60s I was with a, an improv group called uh, The Committee which was a group that came from San Francisco it was an offshoot of Second City the, the group came from Chicago and started in San Francisco and we had a lot of cross-pollination between the rock and roll world we had Janis Joplin came on stage with us and performed with us you know we'd have Steve Miller band guys come around and Mamas and Papas we had a lot of people hanging out and we we and that really came became the basis for how we understood how rock and roll people behaved and that's why i think and even you know chris harry and michael played in bands you know so even though we, they we were comedians and satirists we we understood that rock and roll world pretty pretty well
1: your first drummer was uh the people. john stampy peeps oh, yeah. great great uh tall blonde geek with glasses yeah. uh good drama great look good drama yeah good yeah, drama what drum. happened to him he died. He, he died in a bizarre gardening accident some years back. It's He's really one of those things. It was, you know, the authorities said, you know, best leave it. Yeah. Totally Unsolved, yeah. really. You know. And he was replaced by... Uh... Stumpy Joe. Eric Stumpy Eric Joe Childs. Yes. And Eric. what happened to Stumpy Joe? Well, uh, it's not a very pleasant story, but no. uh, He's, uh, he, on. he died... Uh, he choked on... Uh, the, the official explanation was he choked on vomit. It was actually. It uh, was actually someone else's vomit. It not, it's not ugly. You know, there's no real. Well, uh, they can't you know, prove whose vomit it was. They never. They don't have no. facilities no in Scotland no Yard to, to you print. You can't really dust for vomit.
2: What was the genesis of the nugget of the idea of let's do a fictional documentary about a metal band in particular?
5: Well, here's what happened. Harry Shearer and I, we had done this thing uh called the TV show, and it was a satire of different things on television. It was like a precursor to SCTV, mm. and we did a, a piece on it, which was a takeoff of Midnight Special, which was a you know late-night rock and roll show uh, hosted by Wolfman Jack, yeah. and I played Wolfman Jack in that, and I introduced this heavy metal band. We made it up, uh, Spinal Tap, it, England's loudest band, and that was the first time Spinal Tap ever appeared. I mean, we had, it was, it, they, they did a song, I think, called Rock and Roll Nightmare.
4: And now, from England, half-mice say you gonna love them to death, Spinal Tap.
5: Michael actually played drums. Great drummer. Uh, you know, great drummer. You know, played for Linda Ronstadt and Jackson Brown. And, and L- Loudon Wainwright was a keyboardist. He <laughs> was a friend of ours. So we had this band. And, you know, while we were doing this the sketch, Chris, Harry, and Michael started improvising in those characters. And I thought, gee, what a great thing to be able to do, uh, you know, uh, something else with these characters. Then we didn't think about it much. Harry and I went off and we had an idea for a movie called, Ro- uh, you know, about uh, roadies. Mm. You know, the backstage and you know, w- on a tour. And then this movie named Roadie came out with, with Meatloaf starring in it. <laughs> and we said, no, you know, we can't do that now. They've done this. Yeah. Meanwhile, Chris and Michael had done this little videotape of these two guys who run into each other in a hotel and in this drug haze, kind of remembered that they worked in a band together <laughs> mm-hmm. and they were improvising mm-hmm. Nigel and, and uh, David, David St. Hubbins, you know, and so we saw this and we said, wait a minute, let's all get together and see if we can create a, you know, a, a, a movie for this and basically what we did is we, I went to a company named Marble Arch, I said, look, give a, you know, let us write this uh, thing for you and, you know, it'll be a rock and roll doc you know, documentary. They gave us some money and we've realized that there was no way we in Screenplay 4 we could capture what this was going to be because it was going to be documentary. So I said to the guy, give us the money you were going to give us to this right to screen. I'll make you a little bit of the film. And we made like 20 minutes of this film you know we made you know it was we had backstage footage we had concert footage i did interview stuff and then the guy said i don't like this you know and so (laughs) and so we went around for like years trying to get it made and finally we were able to put it together for a couple of million bucks
2: we'll have more spinal tap talk with rob reiner after a quick break here on sound opinions from wbez chicago and prx and later, the more you ignore him, the closer he gets. Morrissey is back with a new solo album. You've got a take to
1: won't you take it with me? What a gay time it will be. Cops and cakes, cups and cakes. Please make sure that nothing breaks. The china's so dear, and the treacle's so clear, and I'm glad that you are here. Milk and sugar bread- So full my tummy aches How sad it must end But I'm glad I'd a friend Sharing cups and cakes with me And cakes with me
5: Hello, my name is Marty DeBergi. I'm a filmmaker I make a lot of commercials That little dog that chases the covered wagon Underneath the sink that was mine. In 1966, I went down to Greenwich Village, New York City to a rock club called The Electric Banana. Don't look for it. It's not there anymore. But that night, I heard a band that, for me, redefined the word rock and roll. I remember being knocked out by their, their exuberance, their raw power, and their punctuality. That band was Britain's now legendary Spinal Tap.
4: Wasting my time You know what I want
0: You know what I need Oh, maybe you don't Do I have to come right flat
4: out And tell you everything Give me some
2: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis with Greg Cott, and that's Gimme Some Money, performed by the Thamesmen. The Thamesman, of course, went on to become the immortal heavy metal band Spinal Tap. And we've been looking back at the rockumentary's legacy on its 30th anniversary with director, writer, and star Rob Reiner. Rob, there have been a lot of stories about the genesis of Spinal Tap, particularly
3: the script or the lack thereof. Fran Drescher, who plays the publicist uh, Bobby Fleckman in the movie, has said there were twenty-seven pages. I've heard as little as four pages. It, it was
5: four pages. Yeah, we we wow. basically all we did was outline what the tour was and essentially what the idea of the film was—that it was going to be about these two guys who knew each other in the Squatney section <laughs> of <laughs> London, and they got they formed a you know formed a skiffle band, and then they eventually became you know Spinal Tap, and that was all. That's all we had, and we knew the characters, and then we did write a Bible, you know, getting into the, the characters, who they were, you know, what the albums were, and all that. We knew the venues they were going to play. We had the characters,
2: and we just started improvising.
5: The whole film was improvised.
2: I had a long conversation about this movie with, with Roger uh, Ebert, my colleague at the right. times, you know, and he loved it, too. Uh, and, and I remember him saying one of the things he loved about it was not only was it pitch perfect in capturing the rock and roll world but it really he loved documentaries you know he was such a huge fan he said it, it parodied the documentary form and I wonder about that from your perspective in particular as a filmmaker Marty DeBerg right DeBurge, Marty DeBerg yes right? oh, That Marty was taking, Scorsese and yeah, The yeah. Last Waltz that's right? exactly
5: where it came from I, yeah. I, you know we, we screened every single rock and roll you know from the uh, the Bob Dylan you know Don't Look Back uh, Don't Look Back and to The Kids Are Alright and, and uh, you know the song remains the same I mm-hmm. you know the uh, Led Zeppelin we watched them all and basically this became an amalgam of all those documentaries and my character was based on Marty Scorsese from The Last Waltz
0: and uh, Jonathan Taplin who produced Mean Streets uh, 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 introduced Robbie to me and uh, said uh, there's going to be a lot of people at the concert and uh, the band I thought was that important to, uh, as a group uh, and a figure in music uh, to uh, record their last uh, concert and I figured at least it would be a reportage you know if anything. Mm-hmm. And then when we saw the results, we decided to shoot it in 35 millimeter. And I placed the camera in seven 35 millimeter cameras. Seven? Yeah, seven.
2: It's funny because he's, he's so sort of obsequious, you know. And the rock journalist in me always says, I'd ask them a, different, a million questions. And he's, you know, asking these kind of obvious questions. And they, of course, give the ultra obvious answers. Yeah, yeah. No, and
5: I, well, what I liked is that Marty put himself in the movie.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I thought, I'm going to put myself in the movie. What were your writing contributions, above and beyond Chris's and Michael's? And-
5: well, we, we, like I said, it was improvised.
2: Yeah. I did help uh, contribute to the lyrics of
5: the, the songs. Mm-hmm. We all wrote the songs together. Big All the interview footage I did, I never told them uh, what I was going to ask them. Mm. Never told them what questions I was going to ask. So so, uh, it was brilliant. I mean, you know, when it said, you know, you can't dust for vomit. I mean, you know, you you don't come up with that, you know. So when I said, I said, you know, hear this review of shark sandwich. (laughs) And I said, it's just a two word review. It says sandwich. (laughs) I just sprung that on them. And he says, well, that's not a, that's not a review, that's just a word.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about your reviews uh, a little bit regarding intravenous de Milo. This tasteless cover is a good indication of the lack of musical invention within. The musical growth rate of this band cannot even be charted. They are treading water in a sea of retarded sexuality and bad poetry. Well,
1: that's, that's nitpicking, isn't it?
0: <laughs> the gospel according to Spinal Tap this pretentious, ponderous collection of religious rock psalms hmm. is enough to prompt the question, what day did the Lord create Spinal Tap, and couldn't he have rested on that day, too?
1: Never heard that one. No, uh, that's that's a good a one. Way. That's a good one. The
0: review you had on Shark Sandwich, which was merely a two-word review, just said, Sandwich. Um, <laughs> Where'd they print where that?
2: that?
1: Where'd yeah, they print that? That's, that's not it, real. Is is it? You can't print that.
2: I swear, Lester Banks wrote that review. You know, there's yes. just so much truth in all yeah. of what what you guys. Yeah, it's like
3: uh, it's like in the Almost Famous. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah Well,
2: yeah. and and J D
3: Considine <clears> became famous for those the one two, and word two word word reviews. reviews. <laughs> oh, but yeah. you guys actually beat him to the punch with yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And what's funny to see when you talk about the improv, you could actually see it happening on the screen, where you'll see the other guys reacting to a line, and they're like, you can tell they've never heard it before, <laughs> yeah. and they are trying to suppress, yeah. a, la- a big laugh. You know, while well, they're, it while was interesting, eerie. but because.
5: Uh, you know, we'd we'd shoot a scene, and then I would shoot it again. You know, I shoot it a couple of times to see what else would come out. And sometimes, you know, shoot. I tell Peter Smokler, you know, uh, you know, just don't 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 cover anybody who's who's uh, talking. Just people listening, so I can have cutaways. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, Chris never did, said the same thing twice. He could never remember what he said <laughs> ever, so he never said the same thing twice. It was it was
1: great. If you can see, yeah, the numbers all go to. Eleven? Look, right across the board. Oh. Eleven, oh, eleven, and most of eleven. The amps, t- and then it- amps go up to ten. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not ten. You see, most most blokes are going to be playing at ten. You're on ten here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on ten on your guitar. Where mm. can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What we do is, if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11.
2: Peter Smokler, uh, director of photography. Yeah. Who had shot uh, Give Me Shelter with, you know, well, the, the, the reason? Altamont. The
5: reason I, yes, the reason I hired Peter Smokler is because he had shot rock and roll documents. He was at Altamont and had shot other documentaries. And my favorite thing was when we were making Spinal Tap, he says, the whole time we're making it, he says to me, he said, uh, what's funny about this? He <laughs> said, this is exactly what happens. And I said, yeah, but Peter, you're not seeing it. It's a little bit bent. I mean, but we basically took from everything we knew. I mean, the, the scene backstage where he's complaining about the small bread mm-hmm. was taken from, you know, the article we read about uh, Van Halen and the Endless Party, where they said they had in their writer no brown M&M's. Well, no, there's
1: some problems here. Uh, I don't even know where to start. All right. This, Sound uh, check? What, what, no, one no, one no, one. no. This, This look look there's a little problem with the uh, look this this miniature bread it's like i've been working with this now for about half an hour and i can't figure out let's say i want a, mm-hmm. a bite right you got this you'd like bigger bread exactly i yeah. don't understand how you could it's like, this, though. i mean you could well fold. no then it's half the size no, not the, the bread you can fold the meat. Yeah, but this, then, it, then it breaks, up, uh, breaks no, apart no, 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 no. like you this. You put it on the bread like this, see? But then if then you keep it's... folding it, it keeps breaking. Well, keep and then you everything has to be folded.
5: The scene where they couldn't find the stage was taken from a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers concert where they couldn't, they got stoned backstage and couldn't find the stage. <laughs> <laughs> We've
4: got to get to a subway. So we're in the group, right? we're in the group that's playing tonight.
5: Go right straight through this door here, down the hall, yeah. turn right, yeah. and then there's a little jog there, about 30 jog. feet, uh-huh. jog to and the we left. We don't have
1: time for that. Go straight okay. ahead, go straight you. ahead, yeah.
5: turn right the next two corners, and the first door you sign, authorized, personnel only, yeah. open that door, that's the stage. You think so? you authorized, you're musicians, aren't you? Yeah.
2: All right. right, thank you, thank you very much. Rock and roll!
5: And when they get booked into the Air Force Base, the original keyboardist that we had in the 20-minute version was a guy named John Sinclair, who was a British guy, great keyboard player, and we wanted him for the film, and just when we were ready to start shooting, he got a, an actual gig with a, a group called Uriah Heep. They had an album out called Abominog, and they were touring. <laughs> and so at one point during the tour, he comes and visits us and tells us, you know we got booked into this military base it was the strangest right, booking right. we've ever had so boom we put it right into the movie so truth what
1: talking about? We're going to the air force base why are you were going to, to an air force base because, because the original the gig fell through ah oh, uh, hookstrad you are yes. spinal tarp i'm i'm janine this is Spinal tap. Spinal tap, My yeah. mistake. I'm uh, Lieutenant Bob Hookstrat and welcome to Lindbergh Air Force Base. This is your gentleman's first visit to a military facility. Yeah, yeah. Fine, may I start by saying how thrilled we are to have you here. We are such fans of your music and all of your records. I'm not speaking of yours personally, but the whole genre, the rock and roll and something. Many- all the exciting things that are happening in music job. today. So you're rock
3: and roll fans. You're coming at it from a standpoint of love, I think in a yes. lot ways because you love this yeah, music we do love and mo- you love yeah. and you researched it to death and you knew the stories better than the bands did Yeah, no, in some we cases. we
5: love that we love rock and roll, but we also are satirists and we know how to make fun of it and, and be and lo- one of my favorite things is you you know they they're not geniuses a lot of the people yeah. <laughs> who, who play Tell rock and roll. Rob. So, so, <laughs> so 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 yeah. we did we did this, you know, thing with Stonehenge where there's the 18-inch thing. It was supposed to be 18 feet, you know, with a yeah. Stonehenge. We did the whole thing. And then, uh, you know, uh, a Black Sabbath, about two weeks before the film came out, Black Sabbath was touring with a Stonehenge uh, <laughs> motif. And they got furious at us because they thought we had stolen it from them. Yeah. Now, yeah. you understand the film came out two weeks after I mean it took us two years to make this (laughs) film it's not like you put a film you shoot it and put it together and it gets in the theater in two weeks it was just the dumbness of them thinking that we had stole this idea from them
3: when you first hear the film or see the film i think you appreciate the laughs and and just sort of almost this mockumentary approach like these guys are idiots and we're kind of yeah. laughing at them but we love them too but you lo- yeah. but that yeah. comes out later as you watch the film more you kind of i think what really makes the film great is there's almost a bittersweet melancholy like it's almost too real yeah this really does happen and ba- You know these guys are. They believe too. They believe to their core. This is the only thing they can do. You realize the alternative to this would have been washing dishes at Denny's or something like that. Yeah. You know. So it's kind of like this. You know, this beautiful thing that you're documenting, and at the same time, it is a really harsh kind of like look at these guys. You know, it sounds like a glorious life, but it really
5: isn't. Well, did you see the documentary that was done? It, oddly enough, I mean, the the drummer, I mean, the guy's named Rob Reiner. Anvil. Anvil. Yeah, Anvil. yeah, yeah, there yeah you go. They, they, It was, this is Anvil, I think. Or the, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The sto- and and then it's at a colon, the story of Anvil. Right. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it is these guys who love playing rock and roll, who they'd rather do anything but that. And it's kind of sad. And at the same time, it's funny. And I, I thought that was, it was almost like you know, uh, uh, art imitating life, imitating art, imitating life. Yeah. It just kept going in a circle. Or the, the
2: Metallica yeah. documentary where they all yeah. go to therapy together. Yeah. I,
5: and, and I love in Anvil, uh, they actually went and visited Stonehenge. Now, yeah. I think they must have <laughs> done that knowing that
2: we had that in the film. They I, I, they had to have done that. I don't think that they actually did. Well, that. it's become such a trope among rock band. I mean, I, 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 rare is the rock band that doesn't watch that movie before going out on tour. Yeah. So then does their life imitate it because they just watched it Well,
5: it's interesting because when I was doing Princess Bride, Sting came in to meet with me for possibly playing a part, and he told me that he had seen the movie— he said, I, I watch it over and over. And he says, "Every when we go on tour, and he says, every time I watch it, he says, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and that was like the perfect you know, description.
2: Well, you said something earlier about helping to write the lyrics. And I find that fascinating. I don't think I've ever read that before. I assume that the three boys went off and, and you know jammed in a rehearsal space and came up with those songs. But I remember seeing Spinal Tap at CBGB, not oh, yeah. long yeah. after yeah. the movie yeah. came wow. out, because wow. I was a kid growing up in New York. Wow, yeah. And I mean, they were a band. You're free. You're just four feet and you still got
4: your baby teeth You're too young and I'm too young
5: Yes, they were a band. Michael played with the left bank at one point. Harry and Chris all played with bands at different points. Uh, Harry, uh, Harry's a really good still bass plays, player. Yeah. yeah, he still plays. And Chris is a really good, uh, uh, you know, plays mandolin, plays guitar. I mean, these guys, and they write their own songs. I mean, and it wouldn't have worked if you, unless you had a real And by the way, all the music that you hear in the, mo- in the movie was recorded live. Mm. We didn't record any of that in the studio.
2: So were you sitting with them while they were writing songs or
5: recording? Well, the, the, we recorded afterwards, you know, mm. to make an album, but no, we didn't record. Like I said, we performed live. Mm. And so no, I wasn't there when they wrote the music, you know, but when we we all kind of uh, collaborated on on the lyrics like Big Bottom and Hell Hole. <laughs>
3: listening to Sound Opinions. Our guest is Rob Reiner, director and star of This is Spinal Tap. Rob, we're talking about this film on its 30th anniversary, and everybody acknowledges that it's a classic. I mean, we're talking about the Library of Congress, the Smithsonian, but it was not well received when it well, came out, Well, people didn't right? understand it. I mean,
5: satire, you know, the classic phrase, satire is what closes on Saturday night. People don't get mm-hmm. it. We first uh, previewed this movie in Dallas. And people just didn't know, know what it was. I mean, they they looked and people came up to me after the screening. I said, I don't understand why you would make a movie about a band that nobody's ever heard of and and one that's so bad. And, and and I said, well, it's a satire, you know. And they said, well, why wouldn't you make a movie about the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or something? And, and they just didn't get it. I mean, it went over their heads. It took a while over a
3: period of years for people to really understand what it was. Looking back on it. Did you see this happening where the influence where it started to influence the way bands perform and stage tours and reference it as as like okay we're you know this was a spinal tap moment it has become part of the language Yeah no of you the don't culture. you
5: don't know I mean I mean a satire if it's good and it's close to the bone which this was you're trying to capture actually what, what goes on. So, I mean, it's not like, like I say, we're, we're art imitating life. And so if it's close enough, then the, the life that goes on after is going to, by definition, imitate what you've done. So no, but you don't know that it's, people are going to reference you. You thought, you know, you make a movie and then it goes away and then you never, nobody ever hears from it.
3: (laughs) It sounds like you've got enough outtakes to make like two more, three more movies. Well, the interesting
5: thing is when we first, we had the first cut of the movie which didn't include any of the interview footage we had interview footage of about three hours and the first cut of the movie was four and a half hours without the interview footage so i mean we you know we basically wrote the film in the in the cutting room and you've
2: never been tempted to put all that stuff out because you know people would suck it up.
5: You know, I don't even own the rights to it anymore, and that's oh, man, one of the yeah, sad man. stories about this thing. Not, none of us, none of us have ever seen a penny from any of uh, the Spinal Tap stuff. And now, it's life imita- That's the Robert no, Johnson story. Know, it, really, it is the Robert Johnson. We have not seen a penny of it, and it's upsetting to all of us. Whoa. And so are we going to put it out? No, we don't want to. Unless somebody you know, who owns this thing says, hey, you, know, you guys deserve
2: something. We have never gotten anything. I think it. there needs to be like a Band-Aid kind of concert. Get <laughs> spinal tap. It's right back. Yes. You, know? Yeah. you know, Sting and all these fans. Listen, can come and we, play. Per-
5: we performed at this Earth Day thing. You know, uh, at Wembley. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Wembley Stadium, and, and Ricky Gervais introduced me as Marty DeBergi, and I introduced the band. And we they <laughs> p- played in front of like you know eighty thousand people. So you know, maybe them, somebody should do a, a benefit concert for us.
1: Hello,
2: Wembley.
1: Ancient times, hundreds of years before the dawn of history, lived a strange race of people. The Druids.
3: We've been talking to Rob Reiner, the director of This Is Spinal Tap. His new movie, And So It Goes, is out next week. Rob, thanks so much for being our guest. Thanks for having me.
1: She remains, Cue into the living rock of Stone Age.
2: To watch video of this conversation, visit soundopinions.org. And while you're there, you can get info on our July 29th screening of Spinal Tap in Millennium Park. Now, what are your favorite memories of the movie? Where does it rank among rock movies? What are the real-life spinal tap moments you laugh at? Have you ever seen the extended version? Call 888-859-1800. Coming up, a new album by The Moz and Greg's addition to the Desert Island Jukebox. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. sound opinions I'm Jim DeRogatis my partner is Greg Cott and that is the king of the gladiolas himself Morrissey with the first single from his new album title track World Peace is None of Your Business, album number 10 in the solo Maz discography, Greg. Of course, he started out in the 80s as the lead singer of The Smiths. We recently learned that his two big inspirations were Patti Smith and Oscar Wilde, and I always have thought of him as the Oscar Wilde of rock and roll. We learned that in the uh, big bestseller, uh, the autobiography, topped the Charts in the UK, came out via Penguin Classics, and it really underscored that Morrissey's always been as much a writer and a character, as he has been a musician. He said in 2012 that he was going to be retiring, and in typically perverse fashion, he's continued to tour, although he's had to cancel quite a few shows over the last couple of years. There was an ulcer, there was a bout with pneumonia, there was a head cold, uh, and now we have this album. He's got a new collaborator by the name of Gustavo Manzur, and the album World Peace is None of Your Business has just dropped. Let's play a track from it, and we'll come back and give our opinions. The song is called Neil Cassidy Drops Dead by Morrissey on Sound Opinions.
1: Neil Cassidy drops dead
4: And Allen Ginsberg's tear shampoo his beard Neil Cassidy drops dead And Aaron Ginsberg's lips tighten and thin Neil Cassidy drops dead And Alan Ginsberg's hose down in a barn Neil Cassidy drops dead And Alan Ginsberg's howl becomes a growl Everyone has babies Babies full of rabies Rabies full of scabies Scarlet has a fever, ring is full of ringworm, angel of distemper, the little fella has got true bella, full of fungus, junior full of gangrene, mine is melanoma, tyke full of gripe, wicker snap of scurvy, urchin made of acne, get that thing away from me. Fitting, all life's adventurous.
3: That is Morrissey with Neil Cassidy Drops Dead on Sound Opinions. The new album is called World Peace Is None of Your Business. And that's a tip-off, Jim. He's, uh, this is the Morrissey State of the World address. You know, he's, <laughs> I don't think he's ever been more political on a record. He's always addressed social topics, but he's, he's very direct on this record. It's also a much slower, more brooding record. I mean, we've always associated Morrissey with a certain level of misanthropy. Very few people are up to his standards, and there are even fewer of those people on this record. He is in an incredibly bitter, sour mood. I mean, he's just turned 55. Maybe that's part of it. I really miss the biting humor that he would bring to his most poisonous bromides against the world.
2: Here he's he's sort of in a humorless mood half the time. Well, the the targets have become obscured, too. In Kick the Bride Down the Aisle, he's mocking women who are are ready to submit themselves to the man, and he calls them cows, which is, like, you know, not not very nice. Uh, I would say that's misogynist. I'm not, again, very surprising to hear that from from
3: Morrissey on this record. But the stuff that does get to me is the more empathetic stuff. There's a song called Mountjoy, which is, I take it about the Dublin prison Which is in keeping with the orchestration and the more elegiac mood of a lot of this record. It's not up tempo at all, but it really fits the sentiment in this song, the empathy that is expressing there. So there are some new shades of Morrissey on this record. It isn't entirely as successful as, say, years of refusal was a few years ago, his last previous
2: re- record, which I liked quite a bit. It's a try-it record by Morrissey standards. I'll I'll double that try-it, Greg. It's the best I can do. You're right. He's not at his best. He's not at his most Oscar Wilde. You know, inexplicably, that song, uh, Neil Cassidy Drops Dead, turns from a musing of Allen Ginsberg feeling lost with his lover gone, Neil Cassidy in the beat era, to, to uh, a rant against how evil babies are. Babies have rabies and scabies, Morrissey tells us. Really? not his lyrical best. And then the musical problem. You didn't mention that at all. I think there are some moments of great guitar noise. I love the way that that title track erupts into that Nine Inch Nails guitar. And there's there's a lot of that on the album, but not in a sustained way. The idea of Morrissey fronting resner like sounds is kind of exciting to me, but then there's these other meandering tracks that are full of didgeridoo, and no good comes from didgeridoo or has since the Aphex twin. So, you know, musically and lyrically, it's just a big disappointment. It's a try it from me, and, and no doubt will earn the villainy of all of the Morrissey lovers. But I'm sorry, I also eat hamburgers.
5: <laughs> I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched.
1: Remember, we were shipwrecked together.
4: Sandy, I'm the so fucker, I'm Sandy, yeah, I'm on my own. Sandy, you gotta leave me alone, cause I'm sandy,
2: As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island and play a song on the jukebox that we can't live without. Greg, it's your turn. What do you got? Well,
3: Jim, this is a band that you would really would have to go to a desert island to find their record. I mean, it was impossible to find after they recorded it in 1975. It got effectively buried by their record company. The name of the band is Death, not to be mistaken for the metal band of more recent vintage. This is a Detroit punk band. From the early 70s. The name of the record was for the whole world to see. It finally came out a few years ago thanks to a Chicago label named Drag City that finally released it. It was basically a band consisting of three siblings from East Detroit David, Bobby, and Dennis Hackney. They had this raw, Rock Edge, kind of a African-American response to what was going on in Detroit at the time with MC5 and the Stooges. Sort of a political bent to some of the songs, but also this sound, abrasive, declarative. There was no bones about where they stood on issues like the war, poverty, the way African-Americans were being mistreated in the inner city. In many ways, the precursors to uh, bands like Bad Brains or Living Color, but they never got the attention for it because their record never came out. The guy who signed them to a label deal, of one Clive Davis, we've talked about Clive a few times on this show, <laughs> wanted them to change their name. He basically said, boys, I'm not going to put your record out unless you change that name. Nobody's going to buy a record by a n- band named Death. And, of course, the guys refused. They basically broke up after that, have reunited, however. That's the happy ending to this story, have reunited in recent years since their record finally did come out. And people are now acknowledging it as a classic ahead of its time. Here's one of the tracks from that record, Politicians In My Eyes, from Death on Sound Opinions.
4: They wanna be boss, they don't care who they stuck on, as long as they get along. Politicians in my eyes They can care less about you, they can care less about me. As long as they up in the place that they want to be. They're always wearing small smiles. I get to go with the style. Politicians
2: That is Death with Politicians in My Eyes. Greg Cott's Desert Island jukebox pick this week. A good one, Greg. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, in studio visit, interview, performance from the great Roseanne Cash. Sound Opinions senior producers are Robin Lynn and Jason Saldana. Our production assistant is Anthony Martinez. And our intern is Sam Taylor. <laughs> on Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say.
1: Bus, bus, line is busy every time that I phone. Bus, is the longest stalker I ever known. Bus, bus, I've been trying hard to reach him all day. Bus, when I get him, I forget what to say. New no messages.
6: Hey, Jim, this is Paul calling from Syracuse, New York. I really loved the Buried Treasure show that you and Greg put together. But I gotta ask, do you really like Got a Girl because you hate lana del rey that much i'm sorry man i know lana's not the greatest but neither has got a girl it's just euro cheese just bad lounge music and while mary might have a slightly better voice than lana del rey the bar is not really high there and her voice isn't that great that song you played is strictly a case of production magic you strip away all the bells and whistles and there's really not much there
4: stay my I can't I
6: But I must say you did redeem yourself, man, with a must. That was badass. I love that. Anyways, love the show. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Bye.
0: Hey, guys. It's Jake calling from Chicago. Love the show. Just heard the review on first Aid. Just wanted to say, is it really that shocking that two cute girls from the suburbs of Stockholm who sing country music were signed to a major label? I don't know. It seems like on paper it would just read this hotel. I
4: don't want to wait anymore. I'm tired of looking for answers. Take me someplace. There's music and there's laughter. I don't know if I'm scared of dying, but I'm scared of living too fast, too slow. Regret, remorse, hold on. No, no, I gotta go. Try not to hold on to what is gone. I try to do right what is wrong. I try to keep on keeping on. Yeah, I just keep on keeping
0: on. Greetings, Jim and Greg. This is Peter. I'm calling from El Cerrito, California, and I've been sort of meaning to call and suggest this for quite some time, but I was just inspired to do so by your review of the Bob Mould album, your super positive review, which I went out and got. There's something that I think is just a scourge of music these days, and that is the autotune plugin. It's everywhere, and so much of the music that you guys review is horribly infected by Auto-Tune, not like share robot auto tune, but if you know what to listen for, you realize a person can't possibly sing that way. And sure enough, the Bob World record, thirty five seconds into the very first song, there is horrible autotune right there. this so important for musicians to use this thing? What happened to vocal imperfections? Why is that a bad thing? So, no. autotune must die. You should think about this.
6: Bye. Hi, my name is Marie, and I'm calling about the interview with Wendy and Lisa, and, you know, I kind of got the impression that you thought that basically, like, Prince's career had gone down after Wendy and Lisa left. And, I mean, to me, maybe that's a fact in terms of commercial success or record sales. But the quality of his music and the level of his output is fantastic. And Wendy and Lisa were just a drop in the bucket, you know, in my opinion. All right. Thanks. Bye.